0: Hey, listen, uh, God, I don't know if you believe it or not, but God wants your home to be awesome. God wants your home to be awesome. And many don't believe, based on the situation they're currently in or the background that they came out of, many people don't believe that's possible. Now, awesome doesn't mean, by the way, uh, because I think we could get a mistaken notion about what we're talking about here, awesome doesn't mean um, annual trips to Disney. Okay, like Cheryl and I never took our kids to Disney. They're reasonably well-adjusted adults now. But they never went to Disney. It doesn't mean uh, you have a cottage and you have to take your kids to the cottage every single weekend in the summer. It's not about having the perfect uh, two-parent, three-kid family. It doesn't mean the ideal spouse or the perfectly behaved kids in public. Those are not the criteria by which we're determining uh, awesomeness in your family. It's not defined by anything other than, and we'll mine down on this a little bit more deeply in a few minutes, but it's not defined by anything other than this, that God is at the center of your home. God at the center of your home. And whatever the particular imperfections of your home are, anybody here part of an imperfect home? Just raise your hand. Part of an imperfect home. Right. So uh, whatever the particular imperfections of your home are, the thing that you can change immediately is whether or not God is in the house and whether or not this book is dictating the terms of reference for your home. Those are the two things that you can do uh, immediately. And so we're going to talk about, this series is called The Fam, uh, God's plan for your home to be awesome. It's seven weeks, and the initial questions that we have kind of getting into this series, just a couple of questions that are going to help us here frame it up. Uh, Who is this series for? Because like I have it in my head already that there are some single folks here that maybe live on their own, or maybe are with a roommate or whatever, and you're just going like, I'm not really in a family, I really think this is all going to be just for married people and 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 people parents with children and well you'd be wrong and um listen god established three institutions only three institutions he he established the institution of government to um, hold back sin in the world actually and he he uh, created the institution of the church which we're a part of and he created the institution of marriage slash family three institutions he created all three by the way are for this side of eternity there won't be any of these things on the other side of eternity they're for for now and they're temporal in that sense And when we think about the church and the family in particular, and the way those two things even can come together, the church is really a small, imperfect, on-a-journey expression of that greater family that we're going to have someday uh, in eternity when we're with the Father um, on the other side of eternity. And uh, God's bringing that together. And if you're a believer... Um, On that basis alone, you have a stake in finding out what a family is really about because this is a family and the principles we're going to talk about largely apply uh, to this as well. You have a stake in this. And whatever definition as well that you put on a family, family of one, living with a roommate, extended family that includes parents, siblings, spouses, cousins, all of that, the inclusion of those, you know, we were just so close to them, we called them aunt and uncle, and whether that's part of your family or not, you can decide all of that. And we should all understand that we're all in some kind of a family, whether it's the immediate one in our home or the extended one that we're a part of, or it's this church family uh, that God has given us the, the pleasure and privilege of being a part of it. No matter what it is, all of this applies. So given that we are believers, Christians, most of us in this room, working on living as part of all of this for the benefit of each other, in all of the families that we're a part of here, then we ought to be working on all of this together anyway. So let me ask you the question. Raise your hand if you believe this. It's a trick question. Raise your hand if you believe this series is for you. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. Hands all over the room. Still don't get why some people didn't raise their hand. All right. So question number two, why have this series? In other words, Is the family really in crisis? What's the need for a series like this? And in the last decade or so, we have seen our country and really much of the Western world do a couple of things. One, define marriage and family different than the way we would define it according to God's word. I think we could all agree that the last decade has seen some massive shifts in how our government views these things. And secondly, we live in a culture that is undermining the family through entertainment through the media and through education and at one time our country reflected very strongly a judeo-christian ethic but that's simply not the case any longer in other words at one time we could count on government in essence saying the same thing about marriage that we would say about marriage from god's word they were saying the same thing about family that we were saying from god's word The government was kind of backing us up on this, but that is no longer the case. We can no longer count on our government to say such things. It's such a massive shift from when many of you were growing up in this country, and indeed most of the changes have happened just in the last 10 years. Now, I'm not alarmed by that, and if you've heard my teaching for any length of time, you know that I'm not alarmed by that, and you know that I'm also not at all um, on the program of trying to make Canada a Christian nation, not working towards us reestablishing the Judeo-Christian ethic in our government. That's simply not our mission, it's not our mandate, it's not what God has put in front of us at all. My concern really is not to advocate that our country should be something. My concern, as I enter into this series, and I'm going to spend more time with this material than than anyone else will. My concern is for my family. My concern is that I would live out the principles of God's word with regard to my marriage and my family. My concern is for my wife, Cheryl, and our marriage. My concern is for the three children that God gave us and the three kids that they married and have brought into our family and the grandbaby that's on its way. This is my first announcement of our our grandbaby coming. Thank you. Thank you. I'm very excited. And, so, and that's my concern is my family. And as we go through this series, really, it's up to every single one of us not to be so concerned at what's happening in the culture around us. But our concern is what's happening in the home that God has given to me. And it is possible for those who love the Lord Jesus Christ and are seeking to live by his word. It's possible for us to have very strong Christian homes, homes that are awesome by God's definition of that in a hostile culture. We, we just spent the fall working through the book of Daniel, where Daniel, who loved God and his friends who loved God, lived in the midst of Babylon And they did so thriving in their faith. You read the New Testament and you see the church operating, thriving, growing, expanding, people living their life for Christ in the midst of a Roman empire that was actively persecuting the church and against everything the church believed. So it's possible if you can live the Christian life in the midst of Babylon or Rome, You can live it today in our country. And it's up to every one of us to decide to do that. And to live against really the prevailing culture of the day. And so the question each of us are asking really is, as part of the minority who believes these things about home, about family, about marriage, will I stand against the culture and have the family that God intends for me to have? And so in the coming weeks, that's what we're going to lock down. We're going to talk about, I think we're going to throw this up on the screen here. Here's the series. We're we're going to talk about necessary attitudes today. Then we're going to learn to talk to each other, a message on communication next Sunday, building a strong marriage, raising kids with character, handling the money. So much conflict in our homes is about money. We're going to talk about that a few weeks from now. Addressing inevitable dysfunction. Everybody here has already confessed that you have imperfect homes. Uh, Really, we're just talking about dysfunction. It's all just a matter of degrees, isn't it? Just say amen. It's a matter of degrees. You all live in dysfunctional homes. That's what I'm saying. Okay? And it's all just a matter of degrees. And then some of you might be at the place where you're just going, I don't think my home could ever be awesome because it's so broken. And you don't know my background. And that's how it's affected where we're at. And our marriage is so bad right now. And our kids are out of control. And we're going to address when it's really very badly broken. And there's grace for all of that and there's forgiveness for everything and God is a restoring God and a redemptive God and there's hope for every single home represented here. I hope you believe that. Now that last message, we're also gonna do a Q&A and Pastor Roger, our biblical soul care pastor is gonna be up here with me. And we're gonna address questions that you'll be asking over the course of this uh, series. And so if you have questions that come up along the way, you can email them to us at at harvestberry.ca or text them into us at 705-999-7788. Text that question to us, and we'll include that right at the uh, end in that uh, seventh message in the series. All right, here's where we're gonna be today. We're setting up, that's an introduction to the entire uh, seven-week series, and we're going to see today that having a home that's awesome, which is God's plan for you, requires you to, to cultivate necessary attitudes. And I know you're sitting there going, oh, our home has plenty of attitude, don't worry about that. And I get that. We're going to do some attitude adjustments, hopefully, along the way and see the attitudes that God actually wants us to have. Does that sound good? Sound like something you want to go after? All right, so let me pray for us and then we'll get started on uh, this first message. Father, we are uh, grateful to have this place to gather, to be uh, gathered together in your name today for all of the ways you've already poured out good things in our lives and for this time of worship that we've had and for this community of believers that we get to be a part of. And Father, as we press in now on something that literally takes us right into our homes right where we live and we look at principles of how to have the kind of home you want us to have god i pray that our ears would be open to hear it our minds would be ready and eager to understand it and father that our wills would conform to whatever you have for us father so that we would believe and act upon the things that we're hearing from your word father do a deep work bring healing where healing is necessary bring rebuke where that's necessary. And teach us all, Father. We need this from you. Moved by your Holy Spirit in this place now, I pray in Christ's name. Amen. Amen? you agree with that? All right. Let's go after this. Having a home that is awesome, which is God's plan for you, requires you to cultivate certain uh, necessary uh, attitudes. And before we can actually get to the attitudes, here's where we uh, need to start. Uh, First, uh, you need to be uh, determining... Uh, declaring that this home, your home, is a Jesus home. It's a Jesus home. And too many homes are actually, uh, they're a me home, okay? I want everything focused on me, or they're a you home. In our home, it's certainly not about me, but it's about this person. Or too many homes, parents, listen, too many homes are like kid homes, where the kids are ruling the roost and running the operation. And listen, uh, none of that is good. Uh, What we're declaring here is that we want to have a Jesus home. And so Galatians 5 is where we're going to uh, spend our time uh, for this message, working through a few verses here and not the whole chapter. It's so rich. I would commend to you to read the entire chapter. But in this uh, book of Galatians, uh, Paul is uh, driving his readers to understand their freedom in Christ. And the big problem that was happening in the early church was people were trusting Christ, giving their life to him and starting to live for him. And then other people were coming along and they were putting kind of legalistic code, religious ritual on top of all of that. And people were getting confused about what the faith really looked like. Not following religious rules, because that wasn't what was getting anybody to heaven or into a pleasing place with God. And there's a warning for us right out of the gate as we think about what it takes to have the home that God wants us to have. We're not going after a set of rules and regulations here. We're not looking at tips and tricks to guarantee us all a harmonious home. That is not what we're going after. We're looking for the God who invented family, who instituted family. We're looking for that God to invade our lives, to take residence up in our homes, to transform our marriages and our families into something that we could never have on our own. That's what we're going after. We're looking, and this is a key word in Galatians 5, we'll look at it in a second. But listen, we're looking for the freedom that comes with having Jesus Christ. The freedom that comes from the effects of sin in this world. The freedom that comes from, from not being enslaved to our own fleshly desires. Our own selfishness. Our own hearts. And if there's any hope for the family, that's where it's found. It's found in Christ. I'm not going to give you five ways to a better family. I'm going to give you Jesus. I'm not, I'm not offering you uh, some more self-help. I'm offering you the power of the Holy Spirit in your home because that's all I have to offer you. This is what Paul says. Galatians 5:1 for freedom notice for freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm therefore and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Don't look for another way to do this. Don't for, look for a list of rules or or self-help points. Look to Christ, look to the freedom from sin. The, the thing that's got our homes off track is sin. It's the violation of our relationship with God. Stand firm, therefore, do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. Verse 5, for through the Spirit, by faith, we ourselves eagerly await for the hope of righteousness. You want hope for your family? You want righteousness for your family? It's found in having faith in Jesus Christ and in nothing else. And before anything else in this series, there has to be an admission that you need Jesus. You need Jesus in your life. You need Jesus in your home. Of all the things that we can do with our, our lives, the, the, the leisure pursuits that we can go after, the, the education and degrees that we can put after our name, the, the jobs and careers that we can have and the businesses that we start, and all of that could be so special and so good and not, not dissing any of that. But none of that is nearly as important as investing our lives in the families that God has given to us. Whether you're single or married, it matters not. We're all part of families. And how how are you investing in that? How are you putting Jesus into the family that you're part of? If you have children, are you investing for the next generation's? in the things that are actually eternal and not just making sure that at the end of all things they open the will and you left them some money. Who cares if you haven't given them Jesus? I'm just saying, the family's the most important work that anyone's going to do when it comes to living our life here on earth. And some of you are sitting here and you, you know your family is wobbling on the tracks. And your marriage is headed in the wrong direction. And this is where your hope is found for that. It's in Jesus Christ. If you haven't personally trusted him, you need to do that first. And then you need to say as a subsequent act of surrendering yourself to him, my home will now be a Jesus home. And reorienting everything else that needs to happen as a result of that. Everything we're going to look at over these weeks hinges on this. Do you have Jesus? Is your home a Jesus home? And if it is, then notice this next, you need to be committing to keep God at the center of that. And that's an ongoing fight even if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, keeping God at the center of your home is an ongoing battle that we have. And the hardest part is right here because we're so very sinful and the particular sin that that keeps us from keeping God at the center is selfishness. Because in essence, we want our marriages to be about us and we want our families to be about us and we focus on the attention on ourselves rather than on Christ. Verse 16, Paul says, But I say to you, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And we could just say the desire of the flesh here is the selfishness we have at, at keeping ourselves as the focus of all things. Being in step with the Holy Spirit, walking by the Spirit means that my will is aligned with His. His values become my values. His priorities become my priorities. His attitudes become the necessary attitudes that I need. And so what I want for my home and what I want for my marriage and what I want for my family, whatever expression of that is for you, it is God at the center how does that actually play out in terms of practical terms? Well, uh, for sure, if God is going to be at the center, then God's word has to be important to you. It can't be like, I only ever read it or get it open when I'm here on Sundays. There has to be some reading of God's word in your personal lives, and it has to be opened with your family, and there has to be a pressing in to know what God is saying during the week as well. I remember, When Cheryl and I got married 29 years ago, uh, the pastor who married us, he uh, preached at our wedding from Deuteronomy chapter 6. And what I loved about that passage was it wasn't so much about a formal, you have to read this much of the Bible every single night at the table, but it was more like, you know, we're going to talk about the Word of God while we're walking by the way and when we're coming and when we're going. In other words, in the normal course of the activities of life, are you at all talking about the Word of God? When you're trying to figure out a problem, are you thinking about what God might say about it? When you're going through a particular trial, are you getting God's word open to comfort you? I mean, when your kids, if you, if you have kids down in, in Harvest Kids, are you going to ask them this afternoon or sometime this week, hey, what did you learn in Harvest Kids? What was your teacher telling you about? Are you getting God's word open to actually review that with them? Are you, if your kids are in a one on Wednesday nights, are you, are you helping them learn the verses and, and lock God's word into their hearts and minds? If your kids are on the youth retreat this weekend, they're up in Muskoka and they're hearing these fabulous messages and so many critical decisions are made by teenagers at youth retreats, life altering decisions are made. Are you going to care enough to talk to your teenagers and say, get your notes out, tell me what you learned. Is there any one nugget from any message that just having a conversation about the word of God? How about, how about worship? Is, is worship a, a priority to you at all? The reality is that there's a disturbing trend away from regular church attendance. I don't know if you knew this. But in society as a whole, people are less committed to going to church than they were decades ago. In fact, even in churches like ours where there's a high priority on community and on the preaching of God's word and on worship and all of these things, even those who, are, who belong to churches like this one are less regular in their attendance. And I think that's just because there's so much competing with the church now. It's such a challenge for people just even to be a part of this. And I saw a tweet again that just said, you know, like Sunday morning church participation is a Saturday night decision. In other words, just not waking up in the morning and going, you know, there's all these things that we could do today, and I think today we'll do this one. Let's go to church. What are we communicating to our kids when that's the way it plays out? In fact, with this whole trend away from regular church attendance the gallup poll from 2018 said there's there's been a steady decline since the 1950s in the last eight years alone another four percent lower in terms of church attendance pew research did a very similar study and they said that the numbers that we have saying this many people actually go to church every single month or every single week pew research actually said that people are lying about it they determined that, that, let's just say, people were exaggerating the frequency of their involvement. How's that, instead of saying lying? That actually, people are thinking they're going more often, and, and they're actually not. And, and what are we communicating by that? And it was like, like, Can we really say that we're a Christian home? Can we really say that God is at the center of all of this, if worship isn't even the priority that it needs to be? Third, prayer, more than a mealtime thing, more than just praying for the food, but it's the very breath that we breathe. Or engagement in the mission to make more and better disciples who love God and love people. Are you actively engaged in the mission that Jesus Christ has given to us in, in the world? That Whether you are or not says a lot about whether God is at the center of your home. How committed are you to uncommon community you know, what we call the community of what God is doing here at, at, Harvest? Are you in a small group and doing life together with other people? Are you engaging your kids in the children's ministries that we have like Harvest Kids and One and High Five? Are you engaging your kids in youth on Tuesday nights and making it a priority for them to be there? Are you finding places to serve and to work for Christ? And are you even finding ways? So many of our families do this. They serve together. You see see moms and dads and kids serving together in the parking lot or serving together in Harvest Kids or serving together at Awana. You see really little kids who are already becoming junior leaders because they get it and because they're serving alongside mom and dad and they understand God's at the center of our home. I mean, this is you saying in all of these ways and probably more, this is you saying this is a Jesus home. And God is at the center of every activity and everything we say and all that we believe. And then if you have both of those, notice this, and thus your home looks different than other homes. Your home's gonna look different than other homes. Of course it is, because God is at the center, because you've declared it to be a Jesus home. And in chapter 5, verse, verses 19 through 21, Paul lists what are called the works of the flesh. These are the, this is like sin, the sinful expression of who we are. It's a difficult list to read. And it's not even a complete list. L- listen as I read it here. You can think about your own home and whether or not any of these are part of your home or, or were part of your home in the past. Now the works of the flesh are evident. This is verse 19. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife jealousy, fits of anger. Some of you with preschoolers, that was like this morning, fits of anger, right? Rivalries, dissensions, divisions. I mean, that, that, the la- that last, those last several words, don't that just sound like a lot of families that we're a part of, sadly? Envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. And things like these, it's like Paul's making lists and he's going like, I can't write anymore. I mean, this is so violent, so disgusting, and I think everybody's got the idea, so I'm just going to write down, etc. Because I don't want to list any more of these. Now notice, those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Verse 21. Those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, if this is the general character of your home, not that you might struggle with one or two of these, but if this is the general character of your home, you can't even claim to have a Christian home. And you can't claim to be a Christian. Now, it isn't that every person has all of the things on this list. Obviously, that would be a bit ridiculous. It isn't that we look at the list and go, well, I I only have like two or three of those, so I'm probably doing okay. I mean, one of those is enough to keep you out of the kingdom of God. Would you agree with me that, that, that certain sins... See if you'd agree with me. Certain sins are not a temptation at all for you, but other sins are very much a temptation. How many people would agree with that? Certain things don't, don't, don't tempt you at all, right? And, and I would say that was, that's, that's true of me, and maybe I'd just share a story around that. When I was 16 years old, I got high for the last time. And I got... I Listen, I got so high so fast. And I was so out of control that I decided I never wanted to be there again. And at 16 years old, I walked away from that completely. And I've never been impaired. I've never been drunk. I've never been high since. It's 38 years ago. The, The temptation, the temptation to go there, listen, it doesn't even move the needle for me. I'm not tempted at all by alcohol. I don't drink it. I don't, I'm not tempted at all by it. I'm not tempted at all by drugs, not at all. But in matters of, you know, we could talk about other issues. In matters of fill in the blank, I won't tell you what, because it's not about me. And uh, it's a different series. I'm tempted still. Just like you are. So we don't need to take the time, in fact, to work through this list. We could, and it's, it's, a, it's a pretty um, challenging study, but it's enough to say, when you look at the list, isn't it enough to say, like, I don't want to go there. I don't want to go there personally. I don't want anybody in my family to go there. And I don't want it, certainly, I don't want that to be the character of my home. Whatever, whatever brand of sin your family owns, I mean, you just want it out and you want it done with. And some of you are sitting here and you have scar tissue from previous family situations or you're right in the midst of it right now and you're looking at the list going, you know what, I think maybe us, I think that's us. But this is what we're up against as we declare our intention to have a home that is awesome according to God's plan. And it would be daunting and discouraging and even defeating to us if we didn't have the Spirit in us leading us the way to the awesome home that God wants us to have. And so we don't need to be discouraged by this list. It almost needs to be used as a motivation to press in even deeper to the hope that God gives us through the Lord Jesus Christ. And and when you do that, when you're identifying these things and say, I want this out, that's the thing that's going to make your home seem so different. Because you have the Holy Spirit in the midst, renovating and changing and renewing your family into something that it wasn't before. And all by the power of Jesus Christ. So when we have all that going on, here's what's being produced in our family now. This is... And of the last point we want to look at. And this is from Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And look look what Paul says here. It's producing what Paul calls the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. Verse 22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And against such things, you even get a sense that there's more to this list as well. Against such things, there's no law. Those who belong to Christ have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. We we put away those works of the flesh. We're inserting in place these fruit of the Spirit, these attitudes, and we're going to look at them. These are nine character traits uh, of, of a Christian, but we're looking at them in terms of attitudes This is a person who has to review the chapter. A person, verse 1 says, has been set free by Christ. Verse 5, someone who through the Spirit is living by faith in Christ. Is that you? Verse 16 says you're walking by the Spirit. Verse 18 says you're being led by the Spirit. Is that you? If it is, then this fruit should be produced in your life. It's all driving to the point of cultivating these nine necessary attitudes. If you want a home that is awesome, this is God's plan for you. This is what should characterize your home. Now, when we're we're talking about them in terms of attitudes, and let's get a definition of attitude up on the screen here. An attitude, according to the Cambridge Dictionary, is a feeling or opinion about something or someone or a way of behaving that is caused by this feeling or opinion. So it starts with something that's happening internal to who we are, but then it always results. Tell me if this isn't true. Attitudes always result in you noticing them by how people behave. Doesn't that make sense? I mean, like, I, I just know that when I have a bad attitude, it's not really easy to keep that in. Wouldn't you agree with that? I mean, you don't need to agree with that with regard to me, but more in a general sense. It's just hard to keep an attitude in because the attitude always flows in to some kind of behavior. And, and when we think about this in terms of like just basic social science, some of you are in the social sciences, some of you will remember this from high school or maybe college classes that you have, but just like basic social science would tell us this, that beliefs, the foundation of all things, beliefs lead to what we value lead to certain attitudes that we have, and then always flow out into our behavior. So parents, little taste of what's going to happen in the parenting message, but parents, when your kids are acting out in a certain way, when they have certain behaviors, just know that that behavior or action is not in isolation, that there's something behind that. And so in our disciplining of the child, if that is required for whatever the behavior is, if we're not... Filtering back through the attitude and looking at what the kid values, and then making a decision about what the kid actually believes. Unless we're getting back to this, we're going to deal with the behavior over and over and over again because we never got to the root issue. See, that's the difference here, and it's basic social science. It's, it's just what how God has made us, and so all of this is is very much tied together. The relationship from one to the other is super fluid. So that attitudes actually look like behavior. They're so interconnected. And we're going to see this. This all plays out in the fruit of the spirit being produced in our lives. And you should be able to see this as as we kind of talk through all this. You should be able to see how these are playing out in your own home. How they play out in your marriage and in your family. And just leaving that up, I want you to think about this for a second. Because if your belief is that you are the center of the universe and therefore the center of your home. And, and sadly, there are some people in the room, that's, that's their deal. Okay, the family revolves around them. If that's your belief, okay, then, then you have a me-centered belief system. You're going to value then whatever brings you comfort, whatever makes you happy, Whatever makes you successful and all the other people in your family are only there to feed that. Does that make sense? You following with me? That's now your value. And so your your attitude is now going to be very inward focus. And your behavior is going to reflect in how you treat others. You're seeing them only as the means by which you find personal fulfillment. Okay? So that's belief all the way to actions through the filter of values and attitudes. Now, that's a disaster for your home and your family. Can everybody see that? That's just a disaster waiting to happen. But if in contrast, you believe that you believe the things that we've been saying here, that your home is a Jesus' home and that God is at the center, if instead you believe that and his word is your authority, then you're going to value God's design for marriage and family, not your own. And the attitude that's going to come out of that, and we're going to look at this one first, the attitude that's going to come out of that is an attitude of love, which always puts others first. And that's going to result in a servant attitude. And the behavior that falls with that is that now I'm actually going to have this you before me sense of how our our home is running. And I'm going to want to do things for you because I love you because I love Jesus and because he's at the center of our home. So you can see how all of this works... And and we're going to see how this plays out now with these nine attitudes from Galatians five. And I'm working, Timothy Keller just did some phenomenal work in his book on Galatians here. So we're just working with his definitions. And I've just built this chart out from what he talked. And and I know how you all are right now. Those of you who are taking notes are like, I don't know if I have enough ink for all of this because we're going to build this big chart. You don't have to. And those of you with iPhones, you don't need to take pictures of the screens, but I see you doing that all the time. And that's awesome. You don't need to do that. We're going to provide this whole chart to you in our, on our resource page and in our social media tomorrow. So here's where we're, we're going to go. The fruit of the Spirit, Galatians 5, Tim Keller. Here's the ninth fruit and a definition and then what the opposite is and then what a counterfeit form of that is. Uh, let's look first of all at uh, the fruit of love. Um, We could spend a lot of time on all of this, but I want you to be thinking about all of this in terms of family and marriage and your kids and how you relate to other people in your home and are you demonstrating these attitudes, all right? So love is to serve a person for their good and their intrinsic value, not for what the person brings to you. We've kind of already talked about that. The opposite of love is fear. It's self-protection and it's abusing people. You're only taking off of them what you can get from them. And the counterfeit of love, it kind of looks a little bit like love. In that sense, it's counterfeit. Selfish affection. Attracted to a person. You treat them well because of how they make you feel about yourself. Hey, listen, that's okay. You're starting out your dating relationship. That's the way it all all starts, right? That's called dating, okay? Like I started hanging out with Cheryl because of the way she made me feel. Are you, you, you with me? Was that too awkward? She made me feel really, really good. Okay? And, and so, that's all selfishness. That's not love. That's counterfeit. You've got to get over that in a hurry in your dating relationship in order to get engaged and married and have a God-centered home. Joy. Here's a second one. Delight in God and all that he provides for the sheer beauty and worth of who he is. Okay, so, so it's not at all dependent on the circumstances of my life. I'm just delighting in God. And the opposite of joy, we would think immediately of sadness, but it's, that's part of it, but it's mostly hopelessness and despair. When there's no joy, there's just despair. And the counterfeit form of it is this elation that comes with experiencing blessings, not the blesser. In other words, I focus on the gifts that God has given to me, but I'm not focusing on the giver and the gifts come and go. So I have these mood swings based on circumstances and we would call that happiness. And I'm not out on happiness and I want you to be happy, but let's never confuse happiness and joy. Happiness is dependent on things that are happening in front of me right now. And joy is dependent only on my relationship with Christ. So there's a huge difference between the two. And I want a home that's filled with joy. I don't mind the laughter and the happiness when good things are happening, but I want joy at the core of it. Don't you want that for your home? All right, here's the third one, peace. Confidence and rest in the wisdom and sovereignty of God more than in your own confidence and wisdom. Okay, I'm confident in what God has for me. So again, the circumstances don't matter. I'm at peace because I believe this is what God wanted for me. And I believe he's sovereign. I believe he wants what's best for me. The opposite of this, and this plagues so many homes, is anxiety and worry. And the counterfeit of this is it appears to be peace, but it's actually indifference and apathy. I just don't care. It appears to be peace, but it's not. Patience, the ability to take trouble from others or life. So just general circumstances without blowing up or hitting back. How many homes could use a little bit more patience this week, right? This goes on all the time. And the opposite of this is resentment toward God and others because things don't go according to my plan. God, why are you allowing this? Why are you causing this? Why haven't you stopped this? I'm so resentful of you. And instead of long suffering through these things, I'm resentful towards God. And the counterfeit of this is a cynicism. So it appears that I'm patient, but it's actually a lack of caring. This is too small to be bothered about. And it might actually be something I should care about and should be, again, long suffering, to use the King James Version word, long suffering through this kindness are you seeing how these apply to your home does everybody kind of just give me a little nod just to let me know you're still with me okay practical kindness um, with vulnerability out of deep inner security in other words i can be kind to you because i know exactly who i am in christ my identity is so set i can just i can just be nice to people And the opposite of this is I can't be kind or nice to people because I envy them and I'm unable to rejoice in another person's joy. And the counterfeit of this is that I am doing what appear to be kind things, but they are manipulative good deeds. In other words, I'm doing good for others so I can congratulate myself and and feel I'm good enough for God and I'm I'm good enough for others. Goodness and integrity. Honesty, transparency, being the same in one situation as another. The opposite of this is phoniness and hypocrisy. And the counterfeit of this is um, I have integrity. And so I speak the truth, but I speak it without any love. And I, I get things off my chest for my own sake. Faithfulness in contrast to that, and these two work together, is loyalty, courage, committed, utterly reliable, true to one's word. And the opposite is this, uh, is that I'm an opportunist, that I'm a fair weather friend. And, and the counterfeit of this, and this is where you see the contrast with goodness and integrity, is the first was truth without love, and this is love without truth. That I'm, I'm, I'm loyal to you, but I'm, I'm loyal in such a way that I'm not actually willing to tell you the truth about certain things. And Paul tells us in Ephesians 4 to speak the truth in love. Sometimes the delivery of the truth is is an act of love towards someone else. Gentleness, humility. Some translations put the word meekness here. And this is, I love this, it's self-forgetfulness. The opposite of this is superiority. Self-absorbed. I'm self-absorbed or self-aggrandizement. That I, I think I'm more than what I really am. And the counterfeit of gentleness, humility, and meekness is that I have this inferiority complex or I'm self-conscious about myself. And I love the quote by uh, Rick Warren on humility, where he says, uh, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. Okay. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. That would be having an inferiority complex, but thinking of yourself less. It's uh, self-forgetfulness. And then finally, this one, self-control. The ability to choose the important over the urgent. And we get chasing after the thing that's like, this is the immediate crisis and I'm going to deal with this. And again, we're never getting at the important things. The opposite of self-control is a driven, impulsive, uncontrolled person. And counterfeit is that I have this willpower that's based on pride and I have this need to feel in control. And anytime you have... A controlling person in the home, that's a disaster for the home. And if you get two controlling people, that's almost untenable. And it's so far away from the attitude that Christ would have us have, that of self-control and the fruit of the Spirit in our lives. That's a lot. And I would really commend to you to download the chart and to start reviewing that and and seeing how these things could be put into play in your home and really even diagnosing whether or not some of these more negative, counterfeit, and, and opposite things are happening in your home and what needs to happen to reverse that by the power of the Holy Spirit. And Keller makes the point that the fruit of the Spirit are all interrelated and, and interconnected. One attitude can't be seen in isolation from all the others and it's really a package deal for us. That you commit to bearing all of the fruit or you get none of it. In other words, a Christian home is an all-in proposition for us. And the most dangerous home, really, as we think about our homes being for Christ or not, but the most dangerous home that a kid can grow up in is one that thinks that you can half-heartedly pursue Christ. That's the home where kids lose their faith and where marriages crash and burn. And so there's a lot on the line here if you want to have a home that's awesome. But that is exactly what God's plan is for you. So let's pray together. Father, I am, um, again, grateful that your word speaks with clarity to the very... um, intimate aspects of our lives the the place where we live and uh, father we need to hear from you because it's so easy for us to make a, a mess of it i pray god for those in the room who are are really teetering and who are losing hope for their families and their marriages and i i pray god that these next weeks would be transforming to them as they surrender their way to christ Father, I pray for all of us that we would be eager to lean in and hear what you have for us, that God, really every family here, no matter where it's at, could take steps forward to being much more about having Christ at the center, much more about being in Jesus' home. So God, help us to hear uh, from you how you want our homes to be awesome. And I pray that it would be increasingly true of us. And I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.